What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Too Much Test Podcast, episode 14. If you're on the YouTube channel, you notice we're wearing the same clothes as episode 13. We are actually clean, hygienic people, but we are recording two episodes so that we can get this out uh, throughout the month of December and enjoy our Christmas. Um, so what's going on, guys? Um, also, so if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a, we're on all the major platforms. If you're listening to this, we do have a YouTube channel so you can see our beautiful faces. I am joined with Sam Stolt. You can find him on Instagram and YouTube under Sam Stolt. I'm also here with David Dimasquita. You can find him on Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. Dynamite underscore D, and on YouTube, look up David Dimasquita. So what is going on, guys? How are you doing? Long time no see, fellas. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, this is like deja vu for me at this point. Yeah, we took a five-minute break and did another episode. So. See. So right, right before we jump back on here, you had mentioned uh, we were talking about caffeine consumption and how you actually drink caffeine throughout your day in in like microdosing uh, for your caffeine. But that you said if you take too much, you go hyper. Can you? Yep. So I've noticed this throughout my life, and you know, you were you were mentioning like you drink coffee this late. It's what time is it? Like seven thirty something, seven o'clock. Anyway, and. So basically, so if I drink like a large amount of coffee, what, what probably most people would consider like a cup and a half, two cups, you know, at one time, pretty quick. For the most part, if I if I'm just on a normal day, I'll feel good and I'll feel up, and then I start to feel hypoglycemic. I feel like you know I get that shaky hand feeling. I start to feel warm. I sweat, and I actually have a a bottle of honey, which. If you haven't bought honey in a long time, that shit's expensive. I don't know if that's just inflation or whatever, but it was like $4 for like a freaking little thing of Walmart honey. And uh, so, I mean, I've had at times where I'll drink too much caffeine and I'll have to like stop at the gas station and buy like a fucking Snickers ice cream bar. And I just like pig out until I start to feel better. But I found that the honey works pretty well. I'll just squirt a little honey and it seems to help. Wow. That's I've never heard that. So I I have a very similar feeling to that when caffeine's coming out of my system where I would go hypoglycemic pretty easily. But on paper, it doesn't cause blood it doesn't cause blood sugar crashes. It causes blood pressure issues, which is kind of weird. And that's what I was gonna ask is like next is have you ever taken your blood glucose when you felt that crash coming on? I personally haven't. I think I did one time and my blood sugar was actually okay unless if it was continuing to go down like i think i was in the low 70s maybe um after a workout or something like that but then when i ran my blood pressure my blood pressure got low from the workout which that tends to happen anyways um but it wasn't super low so i think it was actually a blood pressure issue more than a um, blood sugar issue but i will say i used to keep honey on hand as well because when i felt calm down the honey would make me feel better Interestingly enough, but I didn't, I, I haven't ever been able to pick up on like a hypoglycemic um, blood sugar reading when that happens from caffeine. Yeah. Uh, so the only, I've, I've felt that before, but only when I'm taking say like a thousand milligrams at a time. If I take, if I take a, like my pre-workout lately has been green or black tea. So I don't know whether there's that 30 or 60 milligrams, uh, 100 or 200 milligrams of a caffeine pill. And then a scoop or scoop and a half of pre-workout. Like far too much caffeine, definitely don't recommend it. And it's I think it's got 150 milligrams of caffeine per serving. 
I'm sorry, 250. So I'm taking far too much caffeine for my pre-workout. <laughs> Whatever that comes out to be like 500 milligrams of caffeine, 600 milligrams of caffeine for my pre-workout. And I, and I don't notice that, but 10 years ago, if I would take a gram of caffeine, uh, I would get that type of feeling, but I didn't know what it was. Cause I was like, there's no interactions that I know of that cause that. And I thought it was something to do with like my stomach at the time. Cause my stomach, I noticed that I felt that way. Like I have too low blood sugar, but I noticed that my stomach fell off. Do you guys have that same? Did you notice that? I never, you ever hit those? I never really noticed any issue with my stomach. For me, it kind of brings on a feeling of anxiety, like heat. I feel warm, sweaty, and then uh, the shaking. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is that now that I was just thinking about this, when I was in high school, I never used to drink really caffeine. And I think someone brought like Nodos to school. I think, I don't know what exactly the milligram of caffeine and Nodos, but I remember taking one and feeling that. And I was just thinking about that. So pretty sure when I was in high school, I was fairly healthy. So I wouldn't think it would be like a blood pressure issue or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I've noticed it. I've, it's happened multiple times. And I've even posted on my Instagram, I've broken out in hives from caffeine. I bought, uh, I bought caffeine pills that had, I think, they think they were 100 milligrams a piece. I bought the lowest dosage you could get because I know that caffeine can fuck me up. And I took one pill and I started feeling itchy. And I was, and I'm sitting there scratching myself and watching TV. And my, my wife's like, holy shit, you're red as hell. And I look in the mirror and I went and I uh, went and got Benadryl and it took it away. And not too long ago, I drank a full energy drink throughout the day, got home about five o'clock and I took a couple sips of a rain and started getting that that itch and took a Benadryl and it goes away. Wow. And just a segue, I found, remember Dave, I was telling you and Sam, and I found a pre-workout that is way better than Morphogen and Triggered brand. Yeah. Well, I want to show you guys this gem. You guys are going to like this. Oh, <laughs> Have you ever seen this brand before? <laughs> so for anybody who's listening and not watching, uh, he has just shown us the most uh, popular pre-workout on the planet, C4. <laughs> and I didn't find it anymore. particularly good. I got my Adderall stolen out of my wife's car when I was in Miami, and I don't have a doctor's appointment until January, so I'm using that to kind of bridge and this one actually only has has 135 milligrams of caffeine. So for me, that's enough to give me a boost at the gym, but not to crash, um, you know, and feel that uh, hypoglycemic feeling. So I'm not expecting much out of it. It's just basically caffeine that tastes good that I can just drink a little bit before I go to the gym. That's right. I forgot about this. So it literally has vitamin C, niacin. They add the niacin in there actually to give you like the itchy, tingly feeling. And that's why they add, I forgot about that. They used to do this back in pre-workouts all the time. These add niacin in to give you like the itchy feeling. Um, so you felt like it was stronger than it actually was. It has they used to do that on every pre-workout, like all pre-workouts. All, back in the day, they used to always put it in there. Now, it, it's kind of healthy at like a certain amount, but like they just put enough so you get itchy. Now, yeah, now, now I feel that from the beta. It's interesting. It says it said something I was reading about early. Some individuals may experience a harmless tingling sensation, which is attributed to beta alanine. Yep. Yeah, but they don't even have a lot of beta alanine in there. It's only one point six grams. It's like hardly anything. Because isn't the I think the dose that they've shown in research to work is like three point two grams. I think. 
which is like yeah, three point two grams is the clinical dose for. Uh, oh wait, wait, is is clinical dose eight grams? I can't remember. It's eight grams. No, I think it's three. I thought it was three point two, but maybe maybe it could be eight. Could have changed. I, I haven't looked at that in a while. The the sodium pre workout for me has been awesome. Like eight hundred milligrams of sodium to nine hundred milligrams of sodium pre workout, as well as all the other shit I just mentioned, has been yeah. fantastic. To the point this one, they my, even underdosed the sodium. They only put 60 milligrams of sodium in here. <laughs> they cheaped out on the salt. <laughs> I get like a, um, you know, you guys ever wake up in the morning and your hands are like tight? Yeah. yeah. I, my wedding ring, my wedding ring, you know, I wake up in the morning, like I, I struggle to take it off. But right now I can just take it off. No problem. That's what my hands get like in the gym with 800 milligrams of sodium. It, it's, it's fine beforehand. I have the, the pre-workout and all the other stuff I'm doing. And then I'm drinking the sodium in terms of bone broth. And I get that in my in my feet tiny bit every but you can't really notice it in your feet, but I definitely notice it in my hands for any type of like pull today. I did put back and you're pulling in my hands. I was like, oh fuck. The hands were so incredibly tight. I wanted to segue into because we were talking about beta alanine. I was watching one of Greg Doucette's videos and he was plugging uh, turkesterone. I mean, he's not like plugging it the whole video, but you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, but, knowing, knowing Greg, he plugs it the whole video. Well, he's it's talks about it, but he was <laughs> he was going off because people were saying that you know he's selling turkesterone and no one knows the long term results or you know risks of it. And he was saying that there's basically like four natural PEDs. It was basically caffeine creatine, beta alanine, and turkesterone slash anyway. I don't want to get too much in this video, but I've actually been, I'm actually taking turkesterone. And disclaimer, I own this company. I'm not going to even put it out here, but I own this brand. So it's basically free for me. But um, I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts are on turkesterone. And then I'll let you know what my thoughts were. I've been taking it for probably over a month now. So... I've been doing a lot of research on testosterone in particular. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good research out there. So it's based off of a lot of relative experience with it. And I was trying to find the most intellectual people in the world that I could actually look at. <clears throat> testosterone on paper is awesome. Um, but there's no human studies yet. That, that's the thing. Um, it's actually... And it's, what is it? It's a phosphosteroid. Is that what it's considered? What's ectosteroid or ex, extodosterone. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, like in those, those classification of steroids actually have not been ruled out by the Olympics at all. Um, and they've looked into them extensively, maybe not deep enough yet. And they might ban them eventually, but they're actually like you can be an Olympic athlete and be on Kestra. And from my relative research that a true, not the, so you have to look at the yield 200 milligrams of testosterone gets very similar results to 2.5 milligrams of anabar. And molecularly, if I'm not mistaken, it's almost, or no, this one isn't the one that is it it's molecularly close to anabar, if I'm not mistaken, right? I don't know. I Tell me, what is, what is that? I was putting up a picture of the chemical makeup, but I it's, think it's on turkesterone or ec ecodesterone. I can never say that is on the WADA watch list. 
not banned, but it's on the watch list. Interesting. Okay, so um, from like the research was like 200, if it yields, and you have to look at the yield ratios, 200 milligrams of actual pure terchesterone, not 500 milligrams because that's not the yield ratio, um, is about 2.5 milligrams of anabar is the results that most people are seeing somewhere around there. Um, so I am doing my experiment and tocasterone happens to be one of the bases of my experiment. Remember I was talking about my experiment that I'm doing. That's one of the things that I am experimenting. And it's super interesting because you're talking about taking an anabolic that's not hitting androgenic pathways. So that's the beauty of it. And if it actually works and you can get those factors out of it, avoiding androgenic side effects, um, then it could be a good result a good thing to look at for women. I don't think it's going to like, there's a lot men can, we can do a lot of androgens before we have issues, whereas a woman cannot. So I think that it may be very applicable for women. Um, if it turns out to be as Holy grail, like as it looks like it is, which it does not, it's not like a SARM where people are like, Oh, there's no side effects on SARMs. No, it still affects your hormones. It still binds the, and it modulates to androgen receptors. This is not bind to an androgen receptor. It goes to the, um, it's the beta estrogen receptor, if I'm not mistaken. And so it doesn't actually bind to the androgen receptors, but you get anabolic factor out of it. That's the really cool part to it. And there's a lot more that I'm taking right now to in my experiment, but terchesterone is one of the bases of it. I and mean, I'm getting doing running labs before and during and after probably in it just to prove that it doesn't actually go through an androgenic pathway. So with terchesterone, that effectively because i haven't dove i haven't peaked it it's interesting to me but I haven't like gone down the rabbit hole yet um but my elementary understanding is that it increases protein synthesis or that's kind of like the idea of which then allows you to build more muscle over time or potentially reduces uh protein degradation which then therefore would increase or allow you to uh have an increase in protein synthesis um is there what tests could you do? Or are you testing something in protein synthesis? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure what test you'd even do to measure that because that would be something at some point. This is just an idea. Maybe we can work out this next year. Or if you guys uh, who are listening to this uh, find this interesting, let us know in the comments. But if we created a Patreon or something where we could say people could support, but then we could run different tests on things like tricesterone. Hey, you know what I mean? Where the, the, the supply is purchased, but then also the, the before and after tests are purchased to, because I think also a lot of times you need like, what is it? Three grams of tricesterone, right? Is that, is that what you guys have seen? Well, Plus, I don't notice the difference. It depends on the dose, there's no like There's no clinical dose. There's no, so from what I've seen, so, so turkesterone, and just so if, if you're not familiar with turkesterone, basically this this type of plant, they're ectos, ectos, exid steroids, whatever the fuck you say, I cannot say that word, but basically um, certain ones are derived from like uh, insect steroids. Yeah. Um, and also, and then, so turkesterone and some of the other ones are from plant steroids. And you're thinking, oh, freak, why are plants and insects have steroids? So I'm not, I don't really look into the, insect ones but plant wise so if a plant is under stress like you chop off some of its leaves half of its leaves or if like insects are eating at it it releases these plant steroids out of as, as like a defense mechanism and basically what what they've done with turkesterone and some of these other ones is they basically they synthesize out that turkesterone from this plant 
Um, and like David was saying, it hits the estrogen receptors. It doesn't hit androgen receptors. So it's not suppressive to your hormones. Um, I can, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my experience with it. Um, I've taken, I'm taking two grams a day. So I take a gram in the morning, a gram mid evening. And I've noticed absolutely zero side effects. Um, it hasn't affected my stomach at all. That's one of the only reported side effects is that if you take too much, it can like give you like diarrhea or gas or upset stomach. I haven't gotten any of that. So, I mean, I haven't done any scientific testing. I do feel slightly stronger in the gym, slightly. And that's what I think a lot of people report is that they feel stronger. Now, whether that turns into actual gains, muscle gains, I'm not 100% sure. I've only run it for a month. I would say that I would say it's similar to creatine in not exactly the same way the 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 benefits, but similar I guess in results. Um if I had to if I was if I was 16 years old and I was choosing between creatine and tergesterone, I would start off with creatine because it's cheaper. Um it's proven um but if I had the money, I would probably do both. If I was if I was natty, I mean, if question for you on that, and then a question for Dave. Um, how you've been at two grams this entire? You said thirty days, forty days, or something. You've been testing for yeah. the most part. When I remember to take the second pills, and I'm not in. When I remember to take them on weekends. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Uh, and then Dave, what you said? It's kind of like the base of this non-hormonal or non-steroidal uh, test that you're you're running right now progesterone what's your dose are you titrating or what do you do yeah so pete i'm really curious what is the yield ratio what is a true progesterone that you're taking 10 percent 10 percent so you're looking That's at standard so you're looking at getting 200 milligrams of progesterone as a whole so i i wanted that's why i wanted to clarify with people there's a big difference yeah okay so I'm taking a 2,000 milligrams of progesterone at a 40% yield ratio. So I'm taking four times more than Pete right now. Um, Can, which, what was that? Sorry, sorry, I missed it. You said something. The numbers I just completely missed. Go ahead. Can you I'm, say I'm taking the same amount of progesterone, which is 2,000 milligrams, but the yield ratio is 40%, whereas Pete's was 10%. So I'm actually taking four times more actual progesterone than Pete right now. So it's 800 milligrams of pure progesterone. Um, However, I have someone else that's doing the experiment who's a woman, which you probably already know who it is. Um, and she is doing a tight, we're doing a titration method with her in 200 milligram markers. Well, it's a little bit higher than that because it's impossible to get to that. But um, that's essentially our starting point that we're doing titration with her because we want to prove that it's non-androgenic. And the testing, like you said, I'm not testing my androgenic or my anabolic pathways and stuff like that. I'm looking at straight from a hormone standpoint to prove that it does not affect your hormones. It is non-androgenic. That is the important piece to me. Um, now, I'm sure that there's other blood tests and stuff like that that we could run to look at. But ultimately, the most important thing is it's not suppressive and it doesn't affect uh, other hormones. Have you, so, so how long have you been testing so far? I'm only a weekend, man. Um, I think I got it last Friday, so I'm like four or five days in. Um, no reported results. I can tell you that, like, because I'm, I just, I'm coming off of surgery, also, right? So, like, I'm a week into surgery. I'm getting a little bit more veins coming through my system, which was going to happen anyways. Some of the extra fluid from the surgeries coming out. 
So it'll really be start like I should start noticing a difference after like a month where like I'm not really getting like those newbie gains anymore. Actually, probably half a month probably. I know I should start where the newbie gains slow down a little bit, um, and then I should start to see results from it um, because there's more variables that I'm, I'm I have in there besides just the testosterone because it's for more of a longevity approach than anything else. Just super interesting. We'll report. Um, well, I'm gonna have you guys report on your results in a in a future episode. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing it, Pete, too, because we started around the same time frame, so that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah I'm not taking a crazy amount, but also um, one of the products that I have. I'm not gonna not gonna pl- uh, plug my brand, but um, I have liquid turkestrone suspended in MCT oil. That's 500 milligrams per milliliter. The idea is that it's more bioavailable, but there's no research. So I can't claim that 100%, but from people I've talked to, they said they really liked it. But this is like this is like the supplement industry doing like clinical trials, <laughs> you know, where it's not scientific. It's just basically like we're, tell, we're taking it and telling you how we feel. From what I've seen for turkestrone, from what I've seen, it seems like you either will respond to it or not. Like certain people don't respond to it. From what I've seen, it's like a 70-30 ratio. Like for me, I feel a little bit stronger on it, but some people say they take it and don't feel anything. It could also be the people that go to the gym and barely do shit. They just half-ass stuff and stare at their phone and just expect, you know, turkestrone to bring them to that next level or, you know, grab this awesome C4 and, you know, feel (laughs) sick pumps, you know, fucking vein-splitting pumps. That's uh, that's, No, no, go ahead. No, it's, it's very interesting. How, like it makes me think about like what I'm testing right now. And I have this idea that, and I maybe briefly touched on it, but disease of almost all form kind of stems from inflammation of some form, whether it's a psychological or a physical type of disease, right? Whether it's like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or something like that, or something like a cancer or some other form in our body, there's some level of inflammation that continues, right? And inflammation is so incredibly powerful that like it happens when we get a cut or something to cause the response to the, to heal ourselves. But if left unchecked, that festering of inflammation causes other issues. Think of like chronic pain that develops into something where you then surgery or some other more drastic measures needed to take care of that. Is that's like the foundation. And I'm on this path where I'll check again probably in the next year or so um, my inflammation levels with the HbA1c which is general information throughout your body, but there's other tests you can do because I think personally, I know people believe that you need inflammation to grow. However, I think that at a, at a natural standpoint, like the, the most like barbaric standpoint, having less inflammation on our body in general is going to allow me to make better progress because some people think that like there's like arachidonic acid or other things out there that are pro-inflammatory or like testosterone suspension of people do that because they're like, Oh, I get so much inflammation and then my fucking chest is bigger and it looks like I get a bigger chest from it. Right. And there's probably something to that, but there's so much inflammation in our body all the time. I think 
bringing that down over the course of, say, several months or a year to a very, 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 very low level will actually allow me to get the most benefit from the acute inflammation that I cause through intense training. Think of it like this is how I think of it. It's like if I was like, hey, can you guys go clean up your entire house while on a pogo stick around your whole house? And that's like you trying to do two completely different things. And our body is trying to have deal with inflammation in our joint or our back or, or, or our organs or something while at the same time trying to deal with inflammation caused acutely through training. So if I can reduce overall inflammation drastically, and I think that personally will allow me to make more progress in the gym. Plus overall from a longevity standpoint, I think it's an intelligent thing to do. So I, and I'm just going to talk to this at kind of like a high quick level because I could go into this for a while, the subject. Um, inflammation is the body's response of heal, to heal, period. Um, that's what inflammation is. It's uh, either blood vessels going to the area, white blood cells, whatever it may be to heal or kill an infection, uh, T cells, whatever. Um, so inflammation tends to happen no matter what. And when you're talking full body inflammation as a systemic level, that is probably going to be the thing that puts you down eventually. That's why like systolic, like blood pressure, that, that, that increases inflammation through the body increase blood glucose increases inflammation through the body it also kills your organs literally over time like it kills off tissue um so reducing inflammatory markers is a longevity from a longevity standpoint is like the biggest thing that's why bpc 157 is so phenomenal um and i i'll drop triggered in there too Tr he has a uh, mct oil on his product line and it actually killed my elbows but uh there's BBC a coupon code for it yeah for brandon a so um <laughs> We'll just shameless plug him on this, <laughs> but the, uh, so when you're talking about like recovery, you want to basically recover as quickly as you can to get back after it. So you want to reduce that inflammation because that means the body is healed. So the, the inflammatory response is basically like you telling you, your body that you're healing, I'm not ready to do anything again. I'm going to start recovering and then it goes down. So yes, increasing recovery will also increase reduce the inflammation in the body. But when you're talking about longevity, you want to reduce inflammation systemically throughout the body to the best of your ability. When you're trying to build muscle, it's very counterintuitive because you want to cause trauma to the body to cause an inflammatory factor to get the nutrients going to the area to recover it. So from a muscle building standpoint, inflammation is relatively good. It's kind of like looking at growth hormone versus IGF-1 where growth hormone actually has like almost inflammatory property or anti-inflammatory properties, whereas the, the IGF-1 would have inflammatory recovery properties of some sort. Um, one is great for growth hormone is great for longevity. IGF-1 is terrible for longevity. So um, it's there's like that weird catch 22 at all times that's happening through the body. Like we call that checks and balance system at all times. Um, so but overall, if you focus on longevity and you care about your health, focus on anti-inflammatory diets. That's why the Blue Zone diets are the best diets in the world. They are massive anti-inflammatory diets. And that's what literally every one of my clients is going to be on is some type of anti-inflammatory diets. And also you're talking about gut health and autoimmune diseases and cancer and stuff like that. It reduces that down because you're not going to constantly have to recover and replicate poor cells. And that's what cancer is, is a bad DNA replication. That's I want to kind of jump in, I just something kind of random, but it kind of ties in here a little bit. So 
anyway, so my wife is is switching careers. So she has a lot of stuff that she has to do at night on top of working, all this other stuff. So she was like, why don't we, instead of watching TV at night, why don't we both read for at least an hour a night? And I was like, you know, I used to do that and I just kind of fell out from it. So just randomly, I, I freaking got my old tablet out, factory reset it, threw it, loaded some books on there. And I've been reading at night. Um, I'm reading a book called Optimize Under 35. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a general like TRT, but also like optimizing your life, like a lot of stuff that we were talking about. And I was just reading, he was talking about fish oils and different, uh, and he was basically breaking down the like different omega-3, omega-6, and a lot of the a lot of the store brand stuff sits on the shelves for too long and it's got too much of the omega-6, which is inflammatory. So he was recommending cod liver oil with with that had D3 and K2 in it. That's what he uses. So that's how I tied this into the whole anti-inflammatory thing. And I'm really enjoying reading at night and I feel like I'm smarter. Um, you know, and it's I mean the shit that I actually watch some decent like documentaries and like nature shows to relax, but the majority of people are watching fucking garbage, you know, dancing with the stars, the mask singer, like mindless shit that does not in does not make you any better in life. It's shit that you'll never even remember that you watched it, but you spend a whole hour on it. Dave, you were about to say something. Go ahead. And then I want to remember I was talking about Morph Omega. It is a Omega that will not spoil because of powdered Omega. So you get 1.2 grams of EPA and DHEA. And then you also get the D3 and K2 in it, or sorry, yeah, D3 and K2 in it. So it's basically non-spoiling. And that's the reason why I stick with that one. And it has everything that I need to in it. My code's David 10, by the way. But um, but either way, that's the reason why I brought it up is actually the spoiling. Even cod liver oil can spoil. Um, I actually like krill oil a lot. That's better than normal uh, uh, fish oil. Um, and then a D3K2 supplement's phenomenal. But let me preface, because I think I said this on the last episode. If you have blood clotting issues, do not take vitamin K. Okay, done. <laughs> um, krill oil is also better than omega-3 for uh, the <laughs> cholesterol benefits, uh, mm-hmm. independent of like the anti-inflammatory related responses. Um, but as you were as you were talking, I had something in my mind and I completely forgot what it is. Oh, you had mentioned that your wife brought that up to read uh, for an hour before bed. I think that is a fucking amazing, amazing idea where I actually don't own a television. I haven't owned a television in 12 or plus years. Uh, back in 2009 was the last time I had a tech TV. And um, I've got two books. Uh, so I read probably one or two books per month, but that's like the reading at nighttime is different than the reading that I do, like whether I'm reading a study or something like that. It, and ways you're like, oh, hey, I, I feel I feel smarter, right? But it's because you are. But the real benefit, in my opinion, from doing what you're doing is the aggregation. I call it the aggregation of marginal gains. So you know when you have your tax rate and it's like, say, 22, 22% if you're at $80,000 or whatever it is, right? And then you go to the next tax bracket. That is what your marginal rate is, right? All of those marginal gains you get from you know, going through 20, 30 more pages of uh, material uh, that somebody else spent either a day or years putting together and learning and then synthesizing it in a way that's intelligently thought out and, and very thoughtful. 
you're putting that all in there. And as you do that every single day over the course of the next, you know, year, two years, 10 years, you are like completely changing yourself and the information that is here. Cause this is the most important. I'm pointing at my tool in my head for anybody who's uh, listening. The, the tool you have between your ears is by far the most important tool and the most powerful tool you will ever use. And so many people feed that tool trash. And then they wonder why they don't live the life that's in the dreams between their ears. It's, so Bill Gates actually said if he could have one superpower, it'd be to read faster. Um, because I think he would, he would have that book club thing where he would post like the three books a month that he read or something like that, um, or five books a month, something like that. I forgot what it was. And he'd always post it publicly, like what books he read that month. So that was pretty cool. I think that's awesome, Pete. Um, I think Caroline and I did something similar earlier on in the year. And then I kind of phased out when I was working like, no joke, 80, 90 hours a week. And I have to, I'll probably be working till midnight tonight and have to pack for Orlando tomorrow. Oh, I'm more, I'm more of a life, uh, a, a life thing. Dave, how is the, you, you just closed your new house and, and you also just quit or got fired from your, your last job for poor performance. Right? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Did you say that? I don't know if you mentioned that publicly or not. So <laughs> how is that going? Yeah. So my contract ended for everyone. Like I didn't get fired. Um, and it's been, I probably say the biggest change for me and you and Pete are going to relate to this, like hands down, like I'm pretty sure I've heard you guys almost talk about it is waking up and not having to look at your, open up your laptop and be like, if I don't open my laptop within five minutes, my boss or someone that I'm working with is going to be hitting me up. Like, Hey, where is this dude? And I like that subconscious feeling and the de-stress feels like I'm out of prison actually is literally how it feels. And it's a, it's a sense that I still haven't gotten quite a grasp on because it's been the last how many years of my life. So the sense of freedom is changing on how my heart beats. No joke. And that's the only way I can say it. Um, it feels like I am everything that I'm passionate about. I can be more passionate about. So it, it, I feel like I'm radiating more energy lately just because it's like, and it's a slow process. Like I still can't grasp actually that I like, I feel like I'm out of a jail cell. Um, and that being said is it's amazing and almost overwhelming to me, but I have like those pieces moving that I was holding about social media and the YouTube channel and everything like that. And I like, I, I get, finally got my head grasped around. I was like, I can do so much with my time right now. And it's been awesome. As far as the house goes, um, I had a show this weekend with my pro and two guys that I had to qualify for nationals and then I fly down to Orlando. So we haven't even started moving stuff into it. We don't have a lot of stuff, but it's it's going to be a day, a one and day kind of thing to shift everything in there. Um, building out the offices will take a little bit of time. But overall, uh, we just got a contractor in the house the other day. We're getting quoted on basically redoing the first floor and renovating it. And if the price comes back, all right, we'll probably renovate the whole first floor. Wow, and wait on that. Hey, if you get you had mentioned social media. What is what is one thing that you do that seems to yield results? Do you guys test stuff on social media like we do in bodybuilding and drugs and compounds? That like what's something that you do? Because this would be interesting, like a, a quick tip that we could share in every episode, uh, so that we could all learn from each other, but also we can share that with the audience if they have the interest in understanding more of that social dynamic of how to grow a business, right? Because I work for myself. You guys both work for yourself now at this point. And uh, I'd be curious to learn from you guys what you see is working. 
I'll tell you straight up. I have no idea. My YouTube channel fucking sucks. <laughs> I mean, well, I got. I mean, it's just I've. I just see like, how can I say this? I see fucking channels that put out stupid, fucking ridiculous content that get like four hundred thousand views in an hour. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not taking away from their hard work and dedication. They didn't. It's not from. But it's just. It's annoying to me on YouTube and social media that I see stupid shit getting millions of views, whereas videos like Dave, where he's giving, you know, information on how to work out and nutrients and gut health. And you're doing videos on like all these cool studies and different peptides and different tests. And, you know, people don't want to learn on social media. They just want to be mindlessly entertained. And I'm I'm not going to say I don't do this. I don't click on every fucking science video and watch it. Like I watch Cletus McFarland. I watch them do cars. I'll watch gun videos and stuff, but I don't know. A little disheartening. And I think it goes back to like, people don't want to sit there and read for an hour a night. They just want to watch the math singer or, you know, watch celebrities like Kim Kardashian. So it's a little disheartening that kind of the stuff we do, you know, outside of more plates, more dates and Greg Doucette. I mean, there's not really going to be too many people that do a lot of sciencey shit that are going to become popular. I don't know. Maybe I'm yeah. just an angry YouTuber. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, your YouTube, I mean, you have to look at it this way. Like you, one, you do put out really good content, by the way. And then two, I mean, you have what, 17 times or 18 times more subscribers than I have. I mean, I just started building out my channel, but I mean, like you have a decent amount of subscribers there. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, the science side of it does not get as much growth, but it's weird because some science people get a lot. If you have a title, sometimes it's attached to it. You blow up just because like, oh, he has a PhD or, oh, they're a, do- a medical doctor. And because they have that, everyone believes everything they say. And it could just be like a one-off study kind of thing. And it could popularize them like ketogenic diets. The dude's super popular um, or Atkins, right? Um, <clears throat> people like extremes and stuff like that. And people like drama. So it is what it is. I'm trying to build a legitimate channel that's going to actually benefit people from a standpoint of performance enhancement and longevity all the way down to training, all the way down to nutrients, all the way down to gut health and holistic. And because my focus is longevity and helping as many people that I can, and it will grow. And I have no doubt that I'm going to get traction, but I'm also meshing in the coaching aspect of it and peak weeks and training athletes and stuff like that, which is more mainstream. So I assume that I'm going to grow that way. Now, as far as like testing stuff out, um, so for Instagram, for instance, what what it was for me, how my page started growing pretty rapidly organically again, is one day I just put a post on my story. Like I was just like, kind of like, it was like not venting. It was venting without being negative because everything I posted very positive and people were like, oh my gosh, yes. And I got like 40 to 50 DMs on this one. I was like, all right, screenshot posted to my page. And it still got like 400, 500 likes. And meanwhile, my engagement was way down. It was like in the hundreds or something like that. I'm like, okay, let's try this again without posting to my story first. So I did the same exact thing I did for my story with completely different wording, obviously. And posted to my page and it got like 700 to 800 likes and it got 600 shares. And then I was like, okay. And people were actually reading what I was typing. And that is completely different than what you see. If you can have people that read what you say, and believe what you say and you can build a community around that and that people just understand it if you can relate to people that's what builds a community if people if you're relatable and building a community is the only thing that matters on social media the amount of following you do not have 
Um, for instance, there was a, a campaign I was actually a part of, and I actually had to put my page to private. It's currently on private right now. I'm about to make it public um, at eight o'clock once I'm funneled through all this stuff. Um, I had probably three to 4,000 people that tried to follow me. And I immediately put my page to private when I realized everyone was coming up from literally just Brazil. And I'm like, nope. And I was like, I, I, I immediately like, was like, I'm out. Delete. I'm, I'm not letting anyone follow me that was trying to follow me because that's not the community. That's not my community. I don't want that. I want people to come to me for me. And whether it happens or not, it's irrelevant because that's what I want to put out into the world. And if you, if you can touch one life, that's one life that you've helped out. And at the end of the day, that's why we're on this planet is to help as many people that we can. So that's my standpoint is I don't really care. Uh, but as far as mark from marketing tactics, there was one thing that just hit a lot of people and like down to a core and I just posted to my page and it blew up and then I did it again and it was very relatable. And then I kept posting things that were just like, sometimes it was almost like me venting, but it was very, in a very positive manner. Like, Hey, this is what things that you should kind of think about. It just helps people like think and relate and people are like, thank you for posting the content. I get so many people messaging. Thank you for posting the content that you do. People charge for the information that you're putting out there. I'm like, you know, like I don't need to charge for it. Like people, like helping people, like gives me fulfillment. Um, I don't need to make money off of it. And I was like, to be honest, the best businesses are built off of helping others, probably because you saw an issue in the world and you want to fix whatever that issue is and make the world a better place. And you you get money back in return. Like people are going to be like, hey, can you coach me? Kind of thing. Like whatever. Like it comes back in tenfold at the end of the day, and you feel better about yourself. So I'm not going to do stupid stuff just to grow. No, I'm going to, I'm going to share it. So YouTube actually just sent out the, uh, you know, the year, your year in review for my channel. I'm sure they did for all channels and it's interesting statistics. So I had, I think 300,000 views this year. Now, what do you think that turns into money wise? A big donut. Wait, wait, wait. Is, no. your, is, your, is your channel monetized? Oh, YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube. YouTube. It's monetized. Would... It's about it's about three thousand dollars. Oh, that's for three hundred three hundred thousand views. For three hundred thousand views. Three thousand dollars. Yeah. How you much time watching? Penny, it? It's about a penny of view on average. But but uh, the the other thing that is not mentioned is that the uh, uh, peripheral things that also generate income that yeah. people don't realize until you start working for yourself, whether it's, you know, your own brand or affiliate links or, or coaching or a thousand other things, creating relationships with people that also brings value, whether it's, it's monetary or, or not something that I literally just noticed within the last like two days. Um, I shared something that I used to view as kind of a negative um, that I didn't have the money to buy a car and I rode a bicycle like 10 miles. Probably why my calves are awesome. Uh, this is, I rode a bicycle like 10 miles to work every day because I didn't have money for a car, like in the pouring rain, like, and I was single speed. So it wasn't like I had multiple gears to go up. This is in Hawaii, up these mountains and stuff in Hawaii. If you've ever been or know a lot about Hawaii, it rains pretty often. And I would have to put my clothes in a backpack and then a double bag with plastic. And I shared that. And the story shift um, where it was very like you were talking about building the community of people that, you know, know, like, trust you, whatever it is, right? Going through and sharing that, the amount of engagement I got on that 
versus some of the other stuff, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to go more down that route. But then on a, on a, on a more macro level, what's the over-indexing? If you guys are not doing this, highly recommend it. Um, over the last 28 days on one of my channels, I've got over 100,000 views from doing this. And I'm not, I'm not doing like, oh, you, you put a fucking pussycat in the fucking corner of your thumbnail. It is uh, shorts on YouTube. So YouTube has your regular videos. And most of those are horizontal or landscape. And then they have vertical or portrait. Like just over the last 60 minutes, I've got 2,000 views just over the last 60 minutes, which is astonishing for me, right? And it's basically YouTube's TikTok. Correct. But what, what's happening right now on YouTube is their YouTube shorts is nobody's utilizing it. So there's a fuckload of eyeballs and not enough content. So what happens? You collect a lot more eyeballs than you otherwise would have because the competition is so low. There was one day I think I had 17 or 20,000 for me, which is a channel I started in April, 20,000 views in one day from YouTube Shorts. If you guys are posting video form on Instagram, I repurpose it to YouTube Shorts and it is doing fantastic. It's over-indexing. Like this is what I saw on TikTok uh 18 months ago when before my channel got deleted where i would get hundreds of thousands of views per week uh same thing is happening with youtube shorts highly highly recommend vertical less than 60 seconds long so you're actually absolutely right but wait you can do 60 seconds in shorts i thought that it was only if you record with an app i I can only do 15 second shorts okay so don't use the app on youtube use i just use my either the Instagram uh, stories, or I literally just film it on my phone and and you can do up to 60 seconds. But you have to film it. You literally have to film it though. Uh, you don't, you don't have to film it. I, I will film it. I mean, like, what do you mean by filming? Does it have to be video or so whenever I've done shorts, it limits it to 15 seconds. Even if it's a video, I go to post, it will crop it down. Okay. It, no, it can be up to six seconds long. So what happened is it's the algorithm, right? Like I've done YouTube since 2013, not consistently, but back in the day, I would put out several videos per year. And if I put out a portrait video that was shorter, they would actually downregulate that in the algorithm. And they were like people watch uh, horizontally, right? In landscape mode. So what they've done is actually changed it and they've separated it to its own segment now. And so videos that are less than 60 seconds long in that actually get promoted. So if you do 60 seconds, I literally have it filmed on my phone and then I upload it to there. Uh, I tried one at one minute and six seconds and it didn't work. And, and if you look up the definition of YouTube shorts, it's basically less than 60 seconds long. Highly, highly, highly recommend this. This is the best month I've ever had on YouTube. Uh, over the past 28 days, I've had over 100,000 views. Here's an uh, interesting. So they YouTube's hit me up about doing their shorts and we probably have to wrap up this episode. But uh, I did a, I did one a while ago, and it was basically how to fix America. And it was like if all of the billionaires uh, basically bought one way tickets for people that hate America, then they would be fantastic. Like we'll fly you to every fucking country you want, just you can't come back. But uh, that video has gotten twelve hundred views, um, seven views in the last forty eight hours. I lost one subscriber, and they paid me one penny. 
but, but that, so that's what I noticed about 45 days ago, 60 days ago, I posted one or two shorts and I was looked back at my, the data and I was like, wait a second, these videos are getting literally 10 times the, say six to 10 times the amount of views as the regular videos I was posting. And maybe it's because it's science-based versus more like little snippets. And I was like, let me, let me try this. Let me, let me start putting out more shorts and see if I can tell a difference. And that was probably 30 days ago. And since then, I've been working at doing three to 10 shorts per day. Um, and it is incredible. Like I had one eight second clip of me talking about my journaling and writing your goals down every day and showing, uh, uh I live in Florida. So I guess people are mesmerized by palm trees. And I was sitting by a palm tree and showed the palm tree and that got 25,000 views like within the first week. Wow. Well, I think we got to wrap this one up. Um, Guys, if we don't see you, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, we don't care. We just hope you have a good one. Um, So check us all out on social media. Look up David DiMasquita on YouTube. On Instagram, he's dynamite underscore D. Check out Sam Stolt on YouTube and Instagram. You can find me uh, at Test Your Levels on both YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, which I abandoned, so don't go there. But anyway, guys, have an awesome holiday season. We will see you here next time on the Too Much Test Podcast. Tell your friends. We're trying to grow here. Merry Christmas. Hey, I hope you guys also have an amazing holiday. I'm sure I'll talk to you before Christmas. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone.